Why do you think our socialites are gonna appreciate this episode? Because this case isn't your typical homicide. It happened in the wilderness, about 30 miles outside of the nearest town. Our victim was shot with a rifle. His head was cut off. Oh my. And there are three witnesses who aren't talking. This case will ruffle our socialites' feathers. Welcome to Socialite Crime Club. When you were in high school, do you remember that national holiday that fell in between the last week of November, the first week of December? No, there were no holidays in no. between Thanksgiving and Christmas. No, everybody gets out of school early. Like you don't even go on Friday. You get out early Thursday and nobody goes to school on Friday. No, was this your ditch day or something? No, it's the opening day of elk season. This is your small town story. <laughs> that only could happen to you. Okay. So growing up, our entire school district shut down for the opening day of elk season. Of course they did. I was in my 20s before I realized <laughs> that that wasn't normal. <laughs> that like every school in the nation didn't shut down. There How was like Christmas, Easter, and opening day of elk season. How were you in your 20s before you realized this? I, I just thought everybody did it. When you grow up and that's what you know, that's what you know. Well, it's kind of like the parfait. Yeah, yeah. So Sai has this story about the word parfait. P-A-R-F-A-Y. In this small little town that he grew up in, um, there's a little tiny Dairy Queen. There's maybe, what, six seats in there? I don't even know. It's really small. It's like standing room only. But he was telling me that he didn't know how to spell the word parfait with A-I-T until he got out of Springerville in his 20s because... <laughs> on the window, they always spelled it P-A-R-F-A-Y. No, it wasn't on the window. It was the main sign on oh, the, the side sign. of the building. Like, it was a custom-formed sign where just the letters. Oh. So even the people who made the sign didn't realize. It's not like people just stuck letters up. They had a custom sign made that said Parfait, P-A-R-F-A-Y. Oh, see, I was thinking maybe somebody painted it in the window and they just didn't know how to spell it. I didn't realize it was like a permanent sign. Permanent sign, parfait. So um, again, I was in my 20s when somebody corrected me and I'm like... So elk season, the day of elk season was like everybody was just off school. The teachers wouldn't show up because all the teachers were hunting. <laughs> so they had to let school out. <laughs> see, I was thinking like kids were just out with their parents like hunting, so... No, like the teachers were more fanatical than the kids. So they had no teachers to teach school. So we got out of school... Every Friday for elk season, opening hmm. day of elk season. Okay. Now, it's probably important that I should clarify as well. My high school mascot was the elk. We were the mm -hmm. home of the elks, so it was a very big deal. It's actually a cool mascot. Yeah, and I'll put a little picture of our mascot because it's adorable. And I've <laughs> got to clarify a little bit about Arizona. Some of our listeners may not know. In fact, this week we got some international listeners. So mm -hmm. let me uh, explain Stockholm. a little bit. Yeah, so let me explain some geography of, uh, of Arizona. Most people think desert. And the majority of Arizona is desert. However, we do have this little mountain range that comes down. It's basically an extension of the Rocky Mountains. And we have this area called the White Mountains. It's about 7,000 to 10,000 feet high. Gets a crap load of snow in the winter. There's a ski run. It's a beautiful, beautiful, pristine forest. It's actually the largest ponderosa pine forest in the world. Yeah. The elk there are... Unbelievable. You can't compare them to anywhere else in the country, in the world for that matter. There's world record elk that are taken out of this area every year. It's it's incredible elk hunting. So I grew up in this small town in the White Mountains where I didn't know how to spell parfait and I thought everybody got opening day of elk season out. Do you ever feel kind of embarrassed telling that story? Not at all. Good. I'm very proud of my my upbringing and my, <laughs> my small town. I loved, I loved my my growing up in a small town. We weren't hunters as a family. My dad was actually an artist. He was a school teacher, but he was also an artist. And he did a lot of wildlife drawings. And he was kind of a naturalist. Yes. In a way. Not a naturist, but yeah. a naturalist. Yes, yes, very much so. Well, his degree was in biology. Uh, he was very big into the wildlife biology scene. Okay. And he drew a lot of pictures. So he would go out and he'd take pictures of wildlife. I can remember as a small kid, we would go bugling. And I want to make sure our, our audience is tracking this. 
bugling, these elk make a noise. They call out during the rut. It's kind the, of a screaming noise. Yeah, and the rut is during mating season. So it happens in late September, early October, and it runs for about three to six weeks, depending on some of the temperatures and the moon cycle, all these other things. Mm -hmm. But I can remember as a kid, we would go bugling to call these elk in. And if you're really good at bugling, you can actually fool the bull elk and they will come to you, basically. You don't well, want to get too close. Hang on, let's define what coming to you means. You're not petting them. No, they'll gore you to death. So exactly. it's, it's a so good I don't idea. want like somebody going out and thinking, oh, well, so I'm I said so. Call in an elk. Yeah, I have some <laughs> carrots here. Yeah, no. And the yeah. idea, the name of the game is to stay as hidden as possible. So you get in the tree line, you get in the grass line, you wear clothes that aren't easily visible. You wear camouflage so they don't see you. I wear camouflage so they don't see me. And you use your bugle and over the years you can perfect it. And I'm just now as old as I'm getting, just now getting to where I feel pretty confident that I can, I call elk in all the time now. And I've taken you bugling. Yeah. And I actually really love it. I didn't know how fun it would be um, just being that near to nature and just being so discreet and quiet that they never realize you're watching them in their natural environment. You're actually watching them breathe and you're hearing their footsteps. It's just an incredible feeling to be there and be a part of that. Right. And when you're good, you can actually start to get calls back and forth. Like you can exchange these calls and it's yeah. really cool. And if people haven't heard this, I found an audio clip. Do you remember the time that you put so much cow pee on me? You just sprayed so much on me that that male, the young male bull came in and was pretty much on top of me. And then he got scared when he realized, oh, wait, this isn't a female. Elk. Okay, hang on. We have to clarify. So in the elk world, the males are called bulls. The females are called cows. So it was an elk cow, synthetic urine. It wasn't real cow urine. But yeah, they, they sell synthetic cow urine because it really attracts the bulls. Yeah. And they can smell perfume. They can smell your soap, your shampoo, whatever it is. So when we go out, I have this bottle of synthetic cow urine that I spray all over you. Yeah. You mm -hmm. like it. Stop it. It's the best perfume in the world. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So there's some background on bugling. And I want to make it really clear. Like, I'm not hunt a hunter. I've never hunted for the most part. I'm just not mm -hmm. into it. But I do understand the need for hunting and wildlife management. So I'm in no way am I opposed to hunting. I think it plays a very vital role. However, we've kind of developed this love for wildlife and kind of this passion. And every year, like we mark it off on our calendar, we're going to go mm -hmm. bugling. Yeah. The harvest um, moon, typically. And where this was really symbiotic for me years ago is we started getting involved with state game and fish organizations that were targeting poachers or different types of crimes that would happen in the wildlife world. Mm -hmm. And through training, so we offered training classes on how wildlife investigators could use cell phones to actually solve these poaching cases. Right. Um, so we started teaching all over the country. I think at one point we had like 32 of the 50 state agencies or our customers mm -hmm. targeting poachers through our system. Well, here's kind of a funny story on that is one of the first calls we got for, hey, can you come out and train us how to use cell phones to investigate poaching? We we're like, well, we don't really do poaching. We do homicides. So instead of doing homicides in our training, we just changed the bodies to animals and it all worked out the same way. They loved it. They thought it was the best class ever. Yeah. And I had a bunch of homicide cases. And, and it kind of was. It was the best class ever because that's when we started going to Montana and we were river rafting with everybody awesome. and it was great. So through the years, we got the opportunity to work all kinds of these crazy cases. Elk, poaching, deer, bear, sturgeon. Do you remember Gila the sturgeon? Gila monsters. Gila monsters. We'll definitely do. And we're going to do all these episodes. Uh, bighorn sheep, Elvis, the bighorn sheep. Uh -huh. I think he might have been the largest bighorn sheep ever recorded. Mm -hmm. Narwhals. Narwhals. So anytime our audience sees one of our episodes and it starts off with poached, we're talking about one of our poaching cases. Uh -huh. Of all the cases I've worked throughout my career, these by far are my favorite cases. I really, really enjoy working them. My passion's there. Like it's just been a lot of fun. Yeah, I would agree with you. I have to admit, it's super ironic that we've, if you, if you think about the ripple effect, what do you think the ripple effect we have had against poachers, not only nationally, but on an international 
level. Mm -hmm. Like what is that ripple effect that you think we've had with our services, our training, our assistance in these poaching cases? Oh my gosh, I couldn't even tell you. Hundreds, if not thousands of cases? Yeah. Well, it's like our ripple effect through just other homicides and just different crimes generally. I think it's pretty significant and impactful. Absolutely. Which is really ironic that my wife was recently arrested <laughs> for poaching. I don't know that I was arrested. I'll have to check my paperwork. I don't were, know that I was actually arrested. Were you Were you ordered to the ground at gunpoint? I was. Were you handcuffed? Yes. And what was the first thing that the officer told you? She said I was under arrest for poaching. Okay, we'll come back. Yeah. You ready to talk about no, that yet? No, this is a really <laughs> embarrassing story. You should have another drink of your wine. Mm -hmm. By the way, I actually brought an entire bottle of wine to the filming of this episode. It's just to get me to talk. I'm trying to get Carrie loosened up enough to discuss this by the end mm -hmm. of the episode. So stick around. It might yeah. be successful. Have a drink while I explain the beginning of what's going on here. All right, we're going to go back to August 29th, 2015 okay. evening. But I want to talk a little bit about the town we're going to go to. Mm -hmm. It's Panaka, Nevada. Where is Panaka? I've never even heard of Panaka. Panaka is kind of north, northeast of Las Vegas. It's not too far from the Utah border. It's small. It's like a thousand residents. Uh, it's like three square miles. It was actually first settled by the Mormons in 1857. Any idea why the Mormons might be trying to settle in Panaka? Because they were being tossed out of other places for having non-monogamous relationships? Uh, literally, the United States Army was marching to Salt Lake City to evict the Mormons. <laughs> so they were in running 1857. Away. So they Run were away. looking they were looking for other strongholds. Panaka could have become today's Salt Lake City. But that is uh, crazy. the army actually retreated later on and there was no major Well, thing. good thing Las Vegas came to be. Las Vegas was actually also first settled by the Mormons, looking for an alternative place to Salt Lake. Very few You're people kidding me. No, I didn't is, know that. That is Las Vegas. If you really track the roots back, that uh -huh. a lot of it was the Mormons coming out of Nevada looking for water and farming areas. Okay, let's get to our case. Sorry. Oh, no. We're not done with Panaka. <laughs> so Panaka is a Mormon community. Okay. It's also what's considered a dry community. So there's no drinking. There is no alcohol sales permitted within the city limits of Panaka, period, ever. We wouldn't survive there. No, we would not. Uh, they also don't allow gambling, although they're in Nevada. Kind of interesting. Interesting. And no prostitution either. No prostitution in Panaka, and it's interesting you that asked me of. that. We will be doing the Kristen Labada case later on. It's okay. also the home of Kristen Labada, which is a fascinating case out of Las Vegas that we'll be covering. And although Panaka is fun to talk about because it's a funny name and it's just got some pretty crazy history, we're actually going to be dealing with an area about 35 miles north, northeast of Panaka. Okay. Middle of nowhere. It's this little ranch that's out there. And there is a rancher one day paying attention to his cattle out there working. And mm -hmm. he comes across a stack of brush, like somebody's cut branches off and this brush that's stacked up and it smells terrible, like just this horrible odor. Okay. Something's decomposing. Oh, yeah. like the rat that I ran over in our garage and we didn't <laughs> notice it for a long time. It was the worst. Yeah. We thought it was the trash can. So I just put the trash can out and then the next day it smelled 10 times worse. Yeah. That yes. was terrible. Yes. Okay. The same smell. This rancher has been around long enough to know mm, there's branches stacked up. I didn't stack those branches up. Something's decomposing underneath those branches. Not my gig. So he's going to call the local game warden doesn't live too far down the street, John. So John's going to show up. And I got to tell you, I love John. This dude is as tenacious as an investigator comes. And I think everybody's going to appreciate just how passionate John is for his job. Well, I would say all of the wildlife investigators we've been able to work with are super tenacious, are really good at what they do, and very passionate about conserving wildlife. And they make crap money. Like yeah. terrible money. I know there's wildlife investigators, I think, that start off right now, today in 2023, maybe 28000 a year. That is so crazy yeah, to it's, me. Yeah, it's crazy. So a couple things, though, I need to give some props to John and wildlife investigators all over. This is late August, early September. It is Nevada, so it's up in the mountains, so we're at about 7,000 really feet. It's warm. It's like 90 degrees out. And when John gets there, he removes the, the branches, and sure enough, he finds the carcass of a dead elk that is in significant phases of decomposition. Okay. It's hot. It stinks. There's yeah. maggots everywhere. Ooh. Our buddy John here is going to have to perform a necropsy. Okay. And a necropsy mm -hmm. is basically an autopsy of an animal in the field. And what he's looking for is what killed this animal. Some of these 
observations he makes are abundantly obvious. Because clearly his family, the animal's family, didn't come and nuzzle branches over his body. Yeah, it wasn't an elk burial, if that's what you're, <laughs> yeah. you're asking me. You are correct. Yeah. Like, the first we love thing, you, Dad. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. The first thing that John recognizes is the head's missing. So that's probably a pretty good sign that mm-hmm. humans are involved. Right. Uh, the head is cut off. And it's a clean slice. It's a clean slice. The other thing is the animal has been quartered. That's it. Describe quartered to our non-hunter listeners. So with big game, typically like deer, elk, uh, animals like that, when you shoot and kill the elk, it's very common to quarter. And essentially you're taking the legs and the shoulders or the hips. That's where a lot of the good meat is. And there's an art form to actually cutting up an elk in the field to actually quarter. And you're quartering the four legs with the hips. Well, they're so huge. Yeah, or the the shoulders. How much does the average elk weigh? A thousand plus, easily. Full-grown adult elk's got to be well over a 1,000. I would imagine. I'm going to look it up, and we're going to insert it right here in the YouTube feed. He notices the quarter. The other thing that's very interesting is the back strap is gone. And the back strap, think of that as like the loin or the filet. It's the filet mignon, if you will. Okay. So immediately, John's like, okay, somebody killed this elk. It's elk season in Nevada. It's archery season. Okay. So he's thinking he has what they call a waste case. And what a waste case is, is if I kill an elk and it's a big, beautiful elk and I just want the head to mount in my living room and I just cut the head off and I leave everything else. That's waste. I'm wasting the rest. And even though I have a legitimate hunting tag, I legally can kill the elk. But you can't just leave the whole body. Exactly. It's waste. And it, it's, it's a civil thing. It's a fine. But he's okay. thinking, okay, maybe I have a waste case here. Well, as he's doing this necropsy, and this is where I need our listeners to just give John some love here. Right. And applause. This meat is extremely decomposed. He describes it. So it's been there for a while. Like over two weeks at this point. Okay. He describes it like, think about keeping a roast in your crock pot for like 10 hours Mm -hmm. and then reach your hand in there and just pull out the meat and it just falls apart. It's just like that, except for instead of being a nice yummy roast, it's because it's, it's completely rotted. And as it falls apart, the maggots are falling out. And you have this decomp smell going on. And it's just getting all over him. Yeah. And he has to dig into the hole. And it carcass. ends up on your boots. Like you, it goes home. It gets in your car. So you smell it in your car. No, I've had these cases. it's not coming home to me. <laughs> it's not coming home to your house. I have to get completely, you hose me down in the front yard naked. Our neighbors yeah. are like, would you people stop? Yeah, you're no longer a naturalist. You're a naturist at that point. <laughs> yes, yes. So what John is looking for, though, is a bullet or some type of an injury that he can equate to how this elk was killed. Mm-hmm. And uh, what John runs across and his keen eye catches is some broken ribs. But the broken ribs are more significant to him because they appear to be bullet injury, not archery. Oh, and, and this, it's not, it's, it's not, not rifle season, season for rifles. Correct. Okay. So now it changes. Now this is a crime. It is poaching. It's not just waste. It's poaching. He's going to process the scene. He never finds a bullet there. And I've, I've got a couple pictures. So you were asking about quartering. Uh-huh. This is one of the hind legs, obviously, and it's okay. been quartered. So somebody cut it and then they left it there. John's investigative prowl, if you will, is telling him, Somebody was going to come back for this, and they just didn't. There's no reason to take right. the time to quarter it if, you if you're don't not going to come back, back for it. it. So he's kind of already on, like, this is really interesting. I realize this picture is kind of hard to make out. You can see the ribs for sure. Yeah. What he's trying to show right here is somebody has reflected what I'm going to refer to as the scalp or the, the hair, the hide of the yes. elk here to expose that spine because they cut out the back strap. And that's that filet mignon, if you will. So, okay, so I see sort of there's some shadow of some tree there maybe and the photographer obviously what is the black up towards the top of the screen that's blood soak that's blood that's where the the elk literally bled out in that area and then that blood is rotted so it's also decomp it's part of the smell but it's turning everything black i don't know if a lot of people realize i don't care who you are i don't care what kind of animal or what kind of human you are when you go through decomp everything turns black Right. And this is no dig on anything. I've had cases where I've been working a dead body that I thought was an African-American mm-hmm. only to find out he's a white guy in just severe decomp. Like you can't tell the difference depending right. on the, the stage of decomp. So, yeah, that's what you're seeing with, with kind of that black. Interesting. Yeah, it gets really interesting. It almost looks like there was a fire lit or something. There. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. Nope. That's the blood soak in the decomp. So John is giving it his all here. And I, I just love this guy for this. When he finishes the necropsy and digging through, and you can imagine how horrible that is. How many people just want to go home at that point? <laughs> Get yeah. in the fetal position in the shower, right? Uh-huh. He stayed out there all night. He's not done. He starts a spiral 
search. And what a spiral search is, is you start at the epicenter, which is where the elk was found, mm -hmm. and you slowly work yourself out walking in circles. And there's different ways to do searches. There's different patterns you can use depending upon what you're looking for. Correct. So in this case, it's going to be the spiral. Uh, he's going to get about 200 yards out. And if you think like how many times do you walk in a circle to get 200 yards out? Like it's probably 100 circles he's made at this point. Right. And he comes across. In a big meadow. In a big meadow. He comes across a second scene that he immediately recognizes. Oh, look at that. And it's blood soak. And he's able to quickly deduce by looking at everything. This is where the elk was killed. This is where it was shot and fell down. They okay. started the the process of cutting him up here, and then they drug him to where they're finding. Were there still drag marks anywhere in the meadow that they could identify that no. late? No, mm -hmm. not physical marks, but it's pretty thick grass, so it doesn't mm -hmm. surprise. And like I said, it's two weeks after the, the fact. So right. he's thinking, hey, maybe I can find around here a, a bullet. So he gets his metal detector out. He starts to work that area, and he's just scanning, and it just catches his eye. He looks up, and about 50 yards away on a fence post is a game camera. Oh, yes. And not only is there a game camera, that game camera is pointing directly at him where he's So going. I'm assuming there's some, well, you said this was on ranch, so this must be the nearest rancher's game cam. Right, and he knows this rancher. He, he's from the area, so he calls the rancher up, and he's like, hey, I noticed there's a game camera right here. Is there any chance this thing is active? He's like, oh, yeah, of course it is. I'll be right down. And the, this old rancher, Shows uh -huh. up with a laptop. He's like, let's look at it. And he pulls what out the SD card. What time was this card. at? It's during the day. Like, okay. it's it's middle day. So they take out the SD card and they throw it into the laptop. Now, I need to explain. This rancher has a pretty big chunk of area, but he has a lot of elk on his property. The okay. reason he has these game cameras is he can record how many elk he sees throughout the year. So let's say he's got a herd of 150 elk that he gets throughout his ranch. By taking these pictures through the game camera, he can file a report with the state of Nevada and he can say, hey, Nevada, your elk are eating all my damn grass for my cattle operation. Because the cattle are state-owned, or I'm sorry, the elk are technically state-owned. Yes, so they're state-owned, and there's what's called a depredation tag. And what this depredation tag is, if he makes the case to Nevada, they'll review it, and they'll say, yep, you're right. We thank you for feeding our elk. Here's an elk tag that you can sell for private use. And because of the size of elk that are in this area, he can probably sell that for like fifteen to maybe $20,000. That's amazing. And he recoups some of his loss. Because he can't run enough cattle on his property because of how much grass the elk are eating. Correct. And he can't run the elk off or kill the elk. Right. So he has to tolerate the elk. So this is the state of Nevada saying, we appreciate your efforts. We're going to compensate you. And like I said, he Great. can sell this tag for like fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. So he makes sure. good money. So you're damn right. Those, uh, those trail cams are working. Yeah. So to John's surprise, they start going through the trail cams. I got a picture of oh. the actual trail cam here. You can see it kind of mounted to uh, like an old there. phone post or yeah, something. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Now, these are motion activated, so they're not constantly recording, and they don't record actual video. So these are just grabbing little snippets of uh, When of something walks by. When something walks by. So they start reviewing it, and sure enough, on August 29th, around 9 p.m., somebody comes in the area with a spotlight. And you can see the spotlight in the camera. And as they're spotlighting these different elk, the camera's picking up the motion, and it's taking these pictures. So you see a handful of these pictures of somebody using a spotlight on the herd. And then you get to a picture... It's right here. Oh. And I've tried to brighten this up and I've tried okay. to clean it. So let me describe this both to our listeners who can't see it. Is that our elk on the left on. there? On the far left is our, our victim. And I actually have a couple things we can talk about here. Hmm. So I've put what I'm calling the azimuth. It's the heading. It's also going to be the trajectory of the round. Our suspects are off to the far right. And you can actually see some light like on some rocks and boulders that's right yeah. along the side of the road where they're parked their truck and they're shining the spotlight across the field. In the dark shadow area. Correct. And then that red line that I just put across the screen, that's the, the spotlight coming across the scene. It's also going to be the trajectory. The first two little dots or the shadows there that you see that red line intersect with, those are the two cows. Okay. So these are adult females female elk that are with this herd sure. and then kind of right in the middle there's a smaller one and it's actually like eating grass right now that's that's, oh, that's his son the baby that's the calf yeah and then on Aww. to your point on the far left you actually see the, the the bull elk you can see his big white furry bottom there and if you zoom in like you probably can't see where you're sitting right now you can actually see mm -hmm. he's like he's kind of curled up a little bit like he's hunched yeah, up like his legs are kind of going under him this is the moment the shot hits him so they had just fired the round and you're seeing him react to getting mm -hmm. hit with the bullet and that's what triggered 
Well, you can even see his eye glowing in the camera. Yeah, you got a little little glow there. He's going to fall right there. He's going to die right where you see him there. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, his two wives and his son are going to witness this. So there's our three witnesses. And you're right. They ain't talking. So how far is our bull actually from the camera right here? From the camera, maybe 50 yards, maybe. From where the shot is taken, a little over 100 yards, probably about 170, I think is what I figured on the recreation. And I'll get into like how we get involved with this case. There's this saying we used to have, the PC gods are raining down on us. And what I mean by PC is probable cause. For law enforcement to really do anything, we have to articulate probable cause. So anytime we just happen across evidence like this, this is the PC gods raining down. Whoever took- the forest. Yeah, whoever took (laughs) this shot, God is pissed off at you and is going to give us every nugget that we need to exact some justice here. It's very rare that wildlife investigators get this type of evidence. So right off the bat, hey, this is really cool. What's interesting is that shot is taken just after 9 p.m. Okay. So John's watching, waiting. Hey, what happens next? You see the elk fall. You see the other elk run off. We know it was quartered. Not yet. Nobody goes to the elk. For so how he's, long? he's clicking through photos. Mm-hmm. They leave. You For can see him turn around and come back. Okay. They come back about two and a half hours later, which is really interesting. They shoot the elk, they leave, and then they come back two and a half hours later. When they come back, there's two people on an ATV and they ride right in front of the game cam. So we get some pretty good pictures. As John gets to those pictures, he recognizes something that he's like, oh dear. The two people on the ATVs are wearing hats. Not just okay. any hat. You know, like how there's the ball cap, like the old school ball cap, and the brim is kind of rounded? Yeah, yeah. It's just rounded over the eyes. Yeah, and then, I don't know, about 10 or 15 years ago, the flat brim hats Yeah, where they're just totally popular. flat and they never bend the brim. Right. I think this is a very popular thing these days. It is. It's very popular. And I can speak to this a little bit because I still go back to that small town I grew up in. The thing for all these kids, and understand, these are kids who live out in the wilderness for the most part. Yeah. They love this shaggy damn hair look with these stupid flat brim hats. I yeah. saw pictures on my Facebook from friends I went to school with who still live there of these kids going to prom and like they're in a tux. With shaggy hair with and shaggy a flat ass brim hat. hat. Or shaggy hair and this stupid flat brim hat. So it's a thing with the, the younger generation right now. Mm-hmm. They wreak havoc in the woods a lot of times, though. They're a pain in the ass for law enforcement in the wilderness. So John sees this picture of these two people on the ATV, and he's like, oh, it's the flat brim. And he actually has a name for it. Mm-hmm. The flat brim hat army. Oh, my gosh. And uh, they're really close to Utah. And most of these kids come out of Utah and they just create havoc in the woods for John. As he goes through the video or the pictures here from the camera, there's over 30 pictures of these two quartering the elk. And then he actually sees the pictures of them dragging it off and hiding it under the brush. Hmm. So he's got everything he needs right now to be able to determine when the elk was killed, the fact it was two people, ATV, the whole thing. Okay. Interesting. Here's a picture of the... Flat brim hat army. Oh, that's them. That's actually kind of a funny picture. Yeah. What's the two little lights above them? Is that just from the camera? It's probably either stars or some type of a glow from the camera because you got a UFO. The camera's trying to pick up. Yeah, it's probably a UFO. It is Nevada. <laughs> um, they should have just zapped those two kids up right there. Yeah. I have a better picture of this ATV for later on. So this is what John's working with. Now, obviously, a couple things have happened here. In Nevada, it is elk season, but archery. This was clearly rifle. So he has a felony poaching case at this point. Maybe they have a Nevada tag, but that's really irrelevant if they do because they shot it instead of using archery. Okay. But bigger, he doesn't know who these people are. He's right. just working with, and you saw the quality of that image. It's yeah, crappy it's image. super crappy it's not image. Not like you're putting that. In the they kind of look like young kids, but yeah, you can't really you can't be sure. Really tell. Eventually, John gives me a call. He talks to somebody who talks to somebody who talks to somebody who's like, "Hey, you should call this guy. Like he's helped us on some other cases." So John's explaining this case. What John does here is pretty freaking amazing. So got to talk some cell phone technology here really quick. We are in the middle of nowhere. We have a timestamp of when an event happened. So we know somebody came into this area at this time, then they left for two hours, and then they came back. We're also going to get really lucky here. There is one cell tower that services this area. So whether you have Verizon, T-Mobile, Sprint, AT&T, it doesn't matter. You're using an AT&T tower. So as John's explaining all this, and I'm kind of looking at my map, realizing where we're working and what that is, I'm like, oh, this is perfect for a tower dump. Mm -hmm. 
And what a tower dump is, is law enforcement can write a search warrant saying, hey, a crime happened here at this time. And AT&T, we want all of the connections that were made to this tower during this time frame. And just so people realize, we're getting the serial numbers of the device. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I get your name. I don't get your phone number. Like, I get the serial number of your phone. So that an individual person is never actually identified if who is with that phone. Yeah, and a lot it of people... It maintains privacy. Right, and a lot of people get all worked up like, oh, I don't want cops to have my phone number. This is data for good. We're going to solve this poaching case mm -hmm. with this information. And we're just getting the serial numbers. So Well, and if you're not a shithead, we don't care about you anyway. Right, right. Like... Well, and this is where tower dumps can be really challenging. Like I've done tower dumps in major metropolitan area and you pull the tower for three hours, you have like 100,000 devices. Mm -hmm. You can't figure out what the hell's going on, who's who and what's going on. No, you on. Like, would never have time to look at all no. of those anyway. In this case, it's very different. There is, well, the closest community has a thousand residents and it's 30 miles away. Mm -hmm. Like having maybe a hundred phones registered to the cell site is a busy day. But what's really unique is Farmer Joe, who lives down the street, his phone registers all the time. It should be there. It's normal. So we can get a big enough data set that I can look at it and be like, okay, here's the hundred phones that we see connecting to the cell site all, all day time. long, all night long. They belong in the area. Here's a phone that we've never seen before. And all of a sudden it comes in at nine o'clock and it's there for 30, 45 minutes and it leaves and it comes back at 1130. So as mm -hmm. we're looking at these records very quickly, oh, this is a device of suspicion. What's really interesting is we see a device coming at 9 o'clock. We see it come back at 11, stays there till about 3. It comes back the next morning very briefly at 9 a.m. I don't mm. know if you remember, but they quartered. They quartered it and they left pieces of it. And the rancher works in this area. He actually has a little barn not too far from where this happened. So they think maybe the... Whoever the poachers were saw the rancher. They and probably they didn't came back come the back. next morning and saw a rancher or saw somebody got scared and took off. But yeah. obviously it stuck out like a sword. But thumb. they still have the head. They still have the head. So I hit John back and I'm like, hey, I think we've got a device of interest here. So we do a little work to identify at this point, okay, who who belongs to this device? And there's some ways that we can do that. But now we can justify going from like a serial number to a phone number to a possible name. And John starts doing that work and lets me know, hey, we know who uses that phone and we know because we've dealt with him before. In fact, he just got off suspension from hunting in Utah for poaching. Oh, interesting. So he has a history of poaching. And apparently a couple of years prior to this, he had a deer tag and he decided to kill two deer. <laughs> so instead of killing one, just one he killed he two deer. One. He got caught. So as a result, his hunting privileges were suspended. He just got off that suspension. Oh my gosh. So this kid just didn't learn his lesson. Clearly. And there's pictures of him because he loves to post on Instagram and Facebook mm -hmm. of his uh, hunting ex exploits. And guess what he's part of? The flat brim hat gang. The flat brim hat gang. Or army, I mean. Yeah. Oh, look at his hat. <laughs> yep, there you go. Oh. That's he's really young. And he, he even has the fuzzy hair underneath. They his all hat. do. They all do. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, <laughs> you came to uh, you come to get on the bus to go to football mm -hmm. with hair like that. You get your ass kicked. Yeah, our coach literally had a pair of scissors and he'd set you down and cut your hair off before you could get on the bus. Mm -hmm. Like it was just a different time. Yeah, it was a different time. So yep, there's part, and he's just he's at a taxidermy office. And here's what's really cool: we were able to identify this taxidermy office through the phone records. Which so are these the two deer he had killed in Utah? I don't, <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, um, there's like a funny. bear back there too. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff in there, but it gives you an idea. We immediately now have gone from who possibly did this crime to here's a phone that is in the area that shouldn't be that's pretty clear it's it, it, this phone's going to be associated to immediately here's a guy who can't stop posting on facebook and instagram and that'll be really sure. critical um now it is also elk season in utah i'm only going to identify him by his first name zachary so when we're looking at this picture here that's zachary that's zachary zachary actually had an elk tag for utah during this time so obviously you can't go for hunt archery? in nevada yeah, it's an archery elk tag in Utah. You can't take your Utah tag and go to Nevada and vice versa. Right. So it doesn't help him. But knowing that, John starts looking at, okay, well, how did he do hunting in Utah at this time of year? And as he starts to look into it, he finds another Instagram post where he's posting a picture, Zachary is, with a buddy of his saying they're out elk hunting. Oh, and he okay. has a t-shirt on. He's priming everybody for his big catch. Yes. And the t-shirt that he's wearing in that picture 
John thinks he is identified on the game camera on one of those 30 pictures. There's mm-hmm. a little logo that he's convinced is the same. Not enough to go into court and say with 100% certainty, but it looks very similar. So he's right. like, okay, this is the right There's guy. some reasonable suspicion yeah. there. The second thing is when you kill an elk, you have to fill out what's called a harvest report. And what the harvest report is, is, hey, on this date, this time, I shot this elk. Here's what it looked like. Here's what the antlers look like, the estimated weight. But this is where I killed it and blah, blah, blah. And he, you turn that into Game and Fish. You turn that into Game and Fish of the state. So he has a Utah tag. He fills out a Utah harvest report saying, I killed an elk. So John oh. pulls that, and it looks like it. he's reporting he killed a really nice bull elk, a okay. big bull elk. But there's nothing on Facebook, nothing on Instagram. This automatically makes him a liar. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is the kid who's posting pictures when he goes to the taxidermy store. Yeah. Just the fact mm-hmm. he's on a hunt. He's posting pictures. He goes out and buys ammunition, and he's posting pictures. Yes, picture. preparing for the hunt. Right. And then he, he downs this giant bull that's a beautiful, great antlers. Mm-hmm. Not a single picture. Oh, fishy. Fishy, fishy. This obviously piques John's uh, attention. attention big time. So we're going to get his phone records now. So we identified the phone through the tower dump. Now we're going to target that phone back to AT&T. It's a whole other search warrant. It's a lot of effort and pain in the ass to get. But now we have, I want to say we got like maybe 60 or 90 days worth of records. records. So we have a big set of yeah. records. We are also going to get GPS locations for the phone. And what's interesting with the GPS, some people are like, oh, GPS, that's sexy. It's not what you think like when you're doing navigation. It's not that accurate. Sometimes <laughs> we'll get a, like a 25 meter or 50 meter hit. It's not taking you right to your dentist office. <laughs> no, sometimes it's a thousand, 2000 meter hit. Like he's somewhere on the side of that mountain, but we can't tell you where. I map these and that was what our company was, is we could take these records and we could map these. So I map these records and it's really interesting. On the opening day of elk season, Zachary leaves Cedar City where he lives mm-hmm. and he goes out into the woods in Utah and he starts hunting. And the second and third day, he's in Utah working around. Fourth, fifth, sixth day, he starts to kind of migrate to a different area. Seventh day-ish, he's right on the border of Nevada and Utah. Oh. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where sometimes it looks like, you know, if I could just cross that fence. The grass is greener on the other side. I bet the elk are bigger over there. Probably. Zachary gets, he's on the horns of dilemma, so to speak here. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't having a good hunt. He was not having a good hunt. And it's coming towards the end of his time. So each day that goes on from there, you see he starts going further and further into Nevada. Until finally, on the night of August 31st, Mm -hmm. you can literally track the road that he drove to this meadow, arriving at 9 o'clock, at which point you see him kill an elk on the game camera. Interesting. 100% at this point. This is your guy, John. No doubt about it. John is doing some really bang-up follow-up himself. He knows that there's no way Zach is going to kill an elk of this caliper without bragging about it to somebody. So John is identifying all of his friends Zach's friends, not John's friends, but Zach's friends, <laughs> and is going to start reaching out to them like, did Zach ever talk about the elk he killed? Did you ever, uh-huh. did you ever see that picture? Uh-huh. And eventually he finds a friend who comes forward and is like, yeah, I saw it. it was a great bull, like huge. Did you ever see a picture? Yeah, I got a picture right here on my phone. And he gives he him He sent picture. it to me. Yeah. In the elk world, antlers are a big deal. And there's a way to actually score an elk. The what size, do you mean by score an elk? The size, the quality the the mass of an elk so when you start talking about world record elk one of the ways that they look at this is the antlers so there's an entire scoring guide that you look at a set of antlers and you can score by certain features the size the length and each horn of the antler is mm-hmm. referred to as like a g1 or a g4 or a g6 whatever oh, okay. it might be and this determines the size of what size the of an score elk so you'll hear people score the size of an elk by their antlers and they'll oh, give them a I number okay. like it's in the 400s is good okay um, and it's based on these antlers well this is a picture of our victim oh. before he was killed he's very handsome isn't he he is yeah what would you name him i don't know you're always good with names like Breathless bear. Bruce. Shit. Sounds like kind of a Bruce. (laughs) Bruce. (laughs) Oh. If you look at his antler here, uh, this was taken on the same trail cam that we saw the four-wheeler pass. Just now it's during the day. So people are understanding, too, a massive bull like this will get with a group of cows. He is the primary bull elk with these cows. And what John was ever able to show is by reviewing all of the footage from the rancher, this is the bull that's with this herd. 
All the time. Up until August 31st. And starting the next day, this bull is no longer around. So he's able to deduce this is the bull that was killed. He does have quite a rack. He does. So we're going to focus on the G4. Now, G4, if you start counting from the antler closest to the horns that are coming out on his rack, they're closest to the ear, counting up. It's one, two, three. And when we get to the fourth one, I just highlighted it for you there. Do you see that at the top? Mm -hmm. Notice that fork. Yes. That, I won't say it's (laughs) uncommon, but it's unique. It's almost like a fingerprint to it's this. It's a little wishbone-ish. Looking. Yeah, and where it breaks like that, as far as that little split, where it's located, like that is like a fingerprint. So if I could find another picture of this elk, I could probably positively identify. The other one is right in front of his eye there. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the G1, that very first one. If you'll notice one of them, it's got like a little crook in it, like almost a 90-degree bend right towards the end. Yeah. Also very unique. Um, so you put that combination together, it's going to be pretty easy to identify this if we can ever find it. Interesting. This is the picture the friend <gasps> turns over. That is the same four-wheeler you saw, and this is, what would you, you name him? Bruce. Bruce. That's Bruce's head. Oh, Bruce. Now, this prior picture we were looking at, we were looking at the G4 on the right side, right? Okay. Now we're seeing the left side, but you can still see that G4 and mm-hmm. notice that same little wishbone yeah. you were talking about. Well, and I guess you can still kind of see the prongs a little bit you of the, those lower horns. Right there. Too. Yeah. Yep. And you can see right here. That it is very a, distinct. That's a clear match. So those of you listening, if you want to jump on our YouTube uh, channel and check this out, uh, you can kind of fast forward through the episode and you can see what we're talking about. I've got a side-by-side here of Bruce when he was alive and then Bruce's head tied to the front of a four-wheeler as they're trying to drive him out of there. And uh, basically how we can match these. No doubt that's the same elk. Yeah. Well, and look at all the rope around his mouth. Well, um, they didn't want him talking on the way out, apparently. Right. Nobody's talking. Shut up. Yeah. Um, Poor buddy. Okay. I think it's safe to say at this point that uh, we have more than enough to arrest Zachary. Yeah, um, and why wouldn't he post a trophy elk like that on social media? Well, unless you post it, of course. Zach's racked up a heavy set of charges here. Felony big game poaching in Nevada. Mm-hmm. Possession of an illegally killed big game head, a trophy. Three misdemeanors for trespassing. He's on private property. Using a spotlight, you cannot hunt with a spotlight. So just the fact they're using a spotlight, mm-hmm. uh, you can't hunt at night either. So that's... I was going to ask, because I know in Arizona, you can't hunt past dark. Is that the same in Nevada? Usually what they'll say is because it doesn't get dark necessarily at sunset. It'll be a mm-hmm. little bit later, right? Most states will have a time frame. So for example, Utah and Nevada, it's 30 minutes after sunset, 30 minutes before sunrise. I see. Okay. Uh, but yeah, not at nine o'clock at night. And waste of a game animal because not only did he poach it, he left the majority of the animal behind. So he can still be charged with that waste violation. That wasn't his intent though. Well, yeah, you're, you're <laughs> right. Well, maybe they'll give him a break on that one. So John's like, hey, I'm going to go back to social media and let's see what, what he's all up to. Mm-hmm. And Zach's in New Zealand when we get to this point of the case where we're ready to make an arrest uh-huh. and he's posting from New Zealand. Now it is about a year later. It took a while to put this together. You got the search warrants, you got the analysis of the phones. Mm-hmm. Um, and about the time we're realizing, hey, Zach, you're going to get arrested for poaching. This is him in New Zealand. He's posting this picture in New Zealand saying how great his life is. Uh, he got a hunting guide gig in New Zealand. So he's spending, mm. and I want to say he was there for over a month, like maybe a couple months um, hunting in New Zealand. And New Zealand has apparently great big game hunting as well. Mm-hmm. So John starts following him on his social media and they are literally waiting for him when he flies back to the United States and he is arrested upon landing. That's a great long game play. Yeah, yeah, it, that's some tenacity for you right there. This does get charged as a felony and they are going to throw the book at Zach. I've seen homicides where people walk pretty easily. Mm-hmm. He was arrested. He was released on a $10,000 bond. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Nevada's not playing around with him. He goes back. He's actually going to plea guilty, so it never goes to trial. It's a pretty strong case. You know, people don't have very much empathy or sympathy for people when it comes to killing animals. It's funny you're saying that. I don't know how many homicides I've worked, how many times I've talked to people about homicide stories or questions. I talk about some of our poaching cases and, and people, people lose their shit. Yeah, they tear up. Yeah. They Oh, wait till we get to the bear They're like, they should case. get the death penalty. You tear up. I do. You will well, cry on, when we get to the, the bear case. On the bear case, that one, that one got me. It's terrible. Well, that'll be our next poached episode when we okay, do another yeah, poached episode. Yeah, the bear episode. case is sad. Yeah, drink up because we're getting okay, towards the yeah, end and I need you to come to confessional. All right, so he's going to plead guilty. The judge is going to give him a $20,000 fine. And this isn't like court restitution when you feel like paying it. 
uh, you're paying twenty thousand dollars or you're going to prison. So Zach has to pay up the twenty thousand. They give two thousand right off the top back to the rancher, which I love. I do. Hey, love that. thanks for cooperating. Thanks for calling us. Thanks for the game cams. Go buy some more. <laughs> The rest of it's going to their greater fund. There's what they call Operation Game Thief, and it, it's for reward money or for spreading awareness to poaching. Which it, So it, the money's being used for really good stuff. He gets a six-year hunting suspension. The other <laughs> thing that I love about wildlife people that regular law enforcement just hasn't figured out very well, mm-hmm. when you get your hunting privileges suspended in one state for poaching, it gets suspended in 48 other states. The wildlife agencies throughout the country have this Pact, and they actually call it the Wildlife Violators Compact. Interesting. So when you get six-year hunting suspension in Nevada, it immediately extends to 48 other states. So which states isn't it in? I want to say like Kansas and one along the east, maybe New Hampshire. There's yeah. nothing worth a shit to hunt there anyway. So Yeah, what do you hunt in Kansas? Meth heads. Rabbits? I don't know. Yeah, rabbits and meth heads. <laughs> I don't know. I'll look into this. Yeah, he also got five years of probation. And then he got a 32-month suspended prison sentence. And what that means is don't pay the 20000 screw up your non-hunting suspension, or violate probation, you're going to prison for two years, eight months. So, oh my gosh. yeah, for, for poaching, that's a major sentence. I think it's one of the biggest sentences Nevada has ever handed in, wow. which is, is really good. Hmm. We never really got much more on the hat logo and shirt logo, but there was some additional evidence that John was ever able to bring up that appeared that that matched his Instagram. So some good stuff there. John did a podcast for a bunch of game wardens, and he talked about this case a couple years after this. And it was interesting. At the end of the podcast, he actually gets into how he ran into this kid, into Zach, several years later. In Nevada or somewhere else? I'm going to assume Utah. I don't know. I don't, he didn't say where. But what was really interesting is John's like, you know, I, I have to give it to him. I think this case woke him up. It turned his life around. And they had some type of conversation. The kid said, no, I'm, I'm on the right path now. Mm-hmm. Completely turned his life around. He had a good job. He'd been married. Uh, had his kid. Good. Does not hunt illegally. And I remember something, and I can't, I won't even try to quote it, but basically there was some type of conversation that came up that I want to raise my kid right. And I, it forced him to change. When my kid goes hunting, I want him to be proud about what he was able to do or kill or bring home or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I don't ever want him feeling like I did where I had to hide it, which in this case. Right. It has to feel like a very guilty feeling. And it, it is something you can't be proud of because you didn't really do it well. It wasn't right. yours to be had. Right. So, you know, I guess this is one of those happy endings where a person didn't die, but an elk did. And at the end of the day, I think it's safe to say Zachary learned his lesson and uh, he moved on. So it's good. He did learn his lesson. Do you think we've learned our lesson here about getting caught? What lesson would that be, dear? Well, I have here a, a ticket complaint from the White Mountain Apache Tribe Wildlife and Outdoor Law Enforcement. There's one for me and one well, I don't have yours, but I do have... Oh, wait. Do you, you don't have any evidence for <coughs> no, me is what you're well, saying? No, I do have evidence for you. However, yours is basically saying that yours was all done and taken care of. I'm scared because I didn't get this paper. You should be. It says mine wasn't all done. However, I know my fees were paid. This is a little embarrassing for me to talk about because we were talking earlier about how much we like to go bugling. And Cy wants to tell this story... I'm not sure why, but he wants to let everybody know that we were out bugling. It was this year on at the end of September, yeah. the harvest moon. Obviously, there are some times that you're going through the White Mountains, and there's a lot of ranching out there. So there's lots of fences, and there's lots of cattle guards everywhere. And you open the fences, and you just move into other pieces of land. And you always close the fence behind you. And sometimes these fences are marked. Sometimes they're not. And More times not. More times not. And they're just kind of hodgepodge together with chicken wire sometimes. And sometimes the fence is down for hundreds of feet. There is no fence. Right. There is no fence. So we're going out bugling. And there is definitely an area in the White Mountains where the grass is greener on the other side. And the elk know that. And the elk stay on that side. They are literally the biggest elk in the world. They are humongous. And they're just 
everywhere in huge herds. And, and we know the area well. I do know the area well now. I've been going there now for, what, six, seven years? <laughs> and you know the area well because you've been going there for 40 years from what you told our law enforcement friends <laughs> later. So we're out bugling, and it's starting to get dark. And we're calling in really, really big elk, and to the point to where we're watching these two massive bulls. Yeah, but how many bulls all together in that valley at one time? A dozen? Oh, at least. At least. Yeah, Huge. and they're all fighting and playing in the mud and snorting yeah. around and kicking up dirt, and the cows are everywhere, and their babies are everywhere, and it's really amazing. And On the moon is shining. Moon, right. Yeah, and harvest the moon, moon is shining, and it's just gorgeous. And we're just watching this from afar in awe, and they don't realize that we're there. So at some point, we hear an ATV or a vehicle, vehicle drive by, and we're laying in the grass, and there's also some other person bugling. He just didn't see us, and he looked like a white guy. Like, I thought it was just another Right, he was just a tall, like frumpy-looking white guy, his arms yeah. dangling around, and bugling. And he was really good, so we watched him for probably an hour and a half, because he was, he, I actually think he chased that one out towards us i think he might have yeah and because he was on this other side of this meadow that we were in and so we're watching this elk and we're kind of keeping an eye on this other guy who's bugling and we're thinking wow he's never he hasn't seen us right and it was a long time he must like not be very accustomed to this area yeah he must not know <laughs> the area very well <laughs> well this car that's driving by i don't think much of it because we're in this huge meadow we're in it really is an remote. unmarked white suv it is an unmarked white suv and i'm like okay that's got to be game and fish so we're just hunkering down laying low and the car freaking stops abruptly and abruptly and there's lights towards us in the grass and i'm thinking they cannot see where we're at in the grass there's no way right? there's no way which i don't know that they could they couldn't the other guy was the other guy was watching us so we're watching him and he's watching us at some point apparently correct but i just remember suddenly asking sai did we just get caught and sai's like babe just stand up and put your hands in the air well they were yelling us at this point they that were they yelling had guns. at us yeah i didn't and they were so far away they actually they were yelling at us you're right yeah and Oh, I couldn't dear. tell what they were yelling at us, but I had this really profound sense of fear. <laughs> when I finally did figure out what they were yelling at us, they were yelling at us to get down on the ground and put our face in the dirt. Literally, put your face in the dirt. Yeah. I've got a gun. And so at this point, I'm thinking, oh my God, Like we, there's a potential that we could get shot right now. I will say I have been mock arrested too many mm -hmm. times to count in training. Yeah. I'm really good at getting arrested because I know how to put my hands just right so it doesn't hurt. I know how to keep my wrist turned right so I don't hurt myself on the Yeah, cuffs. yeah, uh -huh, exactly. And in training scenarios, I bet I've been arrested a couple hundred times. But they just say, get down on the ground. This guy was at, well, they both were. There's they both two were. of them. They were assed up. Like they were hyped, hyped up. Which I could kind of see because they don't know, if we are hunters out there, they don't they know what kind armed, of weapons we right, have, right. right? So I'm like, okay. I understand. I'm going to get down on my knees. I'm going to get on my belly and I'm just going to. But I'm not going to put my face in the dirt. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, no. So I am waiting for them to approach us. I know they have whatever guns they had with them. I couldn't see that far, but I have my hands behind my back. I'm being a very good suspect. I, you know, I get into. Properly place your wrist so it doesn't wrist hurt. Position. Makes it really easy to handcuff. Yes. Uh-huh. So. Whoever my officer is, it's very easy for it's them very, to, to very detain me. You. Yeah. She doesn't know how lucky she was. So I'm on the ground there and this she, gets the me, she gets me all cuffed up. Sai's getting handcuffs put on him too with his guy being all mean to him. <laughs> and she is standing just about maybe two or three feet away from me. And she's like, wait, how old are you? I was a little stunned because first I was thinking, well, why does it matter how old I am? Well, because you're thin and, and the, the camo makes you I'm look even thinner. I'm not that thin, but I, I was probably blending into the grass, yeah. right? And then I was thinking, well, how old am I? Because I lie so often about my age that I couldn't remember in that moment in <laughs> and time. I remember like, the hesitation thinking, she doesn't know how old she is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's got to seem so ridiculous that I can't spit out my age right away, right? 
So I spit it out and then suddenly I realize she's telling me, okay, you need to stand up and she's trying to help me get up. But her rifle is dangling at her side. So I'm not really comfortable with the she way that she's- didn't have good weapon retention at all. No, she ne did not. Neither of them did. No, so her weapon is like dangling there and she's trying to force me to lean back against her knee, the technique where you lean back against their knee and then they right. kind of prop you up with their knee. But I didn't feel comfortable with her weapon dangling there. We were in a really rocky terrain and her knee just wasn't doing it. So I'm like, hey, how about I just get up from my knees, right? So I've done this before. <laughs> yeah, I've done this before. Okay, so she was just kind of cool about that. But then she starts saying, she starts telling me, you are in so much trouble. And I'm like, okay. And and I hear your guy talking to you at the same time, but- Oh, my guy was screaming that I have no idea how much trouble I was in. He wanted to know where my weapons were. And I yeah. told him, we don't have any weapons. And he, he is not, like, I'm handcuffed at this point, and he is not de-escalating. Like, no, he they is were still super hyped up. And finally, like, I had to tell him, sir, we are going to do everything you're telling us. We are not armed. In fact, we're both prior law enforcement. You're going to get nothing but cooperation from us. Mm -hmm. To which he said, if I run you, is it going to come back that you were a cop? And in my head, I'm thinking. Oh, I heard that. And I was like, is there such a thing? Yeah, and I'm, I'm thinking it's a test because I'm like, there is no database you can run to find out if somebody's a cop. Well, and you like, actually said that. I did. I was like, well, sir, there's nothing you can run to find out. There isn't a database to run to see if someone's a cop. And then he like snapped at me. He's like, you got a smart mouth. Yeah. And I'm like, well, don't ask dumb questions of my husband. Right? So then this girl who is arresting me, she's telling me, she's like, you are in so much trouble. You were here to poach. We weren't here to poach. She's like, no, you were here to kill an animal, to kill an elk. And I was like, no, we weren't. We weren't here to kill an elk. Well, you're being arrested for poaching. I'm like, well, isn't poaching when you kill an animal? That's not what we did. And she didn't know what to say. And she's like, do you have any weapons on you? And I said, no, I don't have any weapons on you. So she does a full pat down. I have my, my little Vaseline chapstick. That's Ooh. the only thing literally I had on me. Oh, and my, my glasses. And I had a pocket. backpack, but I only had like the bugle in there. Like there wasn't much in there. The was nothing either. in there. Right. Yeah. And we had some extra warm clothes. But so she's telling me, she continues to tell me that I am under arrest for poaching. She must have told me like six or seven times. And then she asks me, well, why are you in camo? And I'm like, another dumb question. Well, so the elk can't see me. The same reason the guy who arrested me was in camo. Right. And I'm like, well, because yeah. when you're bugling, you don't want the elk to see you. Well, you were harassing wildlife. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> you're the one who drove up and scared them away and started yelling. Technically, you were <laughs> well, harassing that's where, them. That's where things start to come together. So for our listeners, here's what happened. I'm not going to acknowledge that I knew this, but apparently we may have slightly wandered onto the reservation from the National Forest. And mm -hmm. keep in mind, from where we were physically handcuffed, I could see the fence. That's the National Forest. We were probably maybe a couple hundred meters. Mm -hmm. What a lot of people don't realize is to hunt in this particular area of the White Mountains, it is considered probably the best hunt in the world for elk. And the Apache tribe sells these hunts for almost $30,000. So you pay $30,000 and you get this hunt, but you also get the resources of the tribe. They come out, they scout, and they guide. To your point, by the time she walks me back to their vehicle You're to, to process us, she is kind of happy, like parading me around in front of this black SUV that just comes out of nowhere, kind of out of the and, forest. And they're on the radio. Like they, my guy was talking on the radio right. as we and I'm, I'm for a brief minute, I'm like, am I going to get gooned? Like what's happening, right? So, but she's parading me around and I'm not really sure what's happening, but I know there's people in this SUV the apparently hunter. looking at me. The hunter. The game hunter that the, paid. The guy who paid the $30,000 tag. They're putting us on display to say, hey, you have special privileges to hunt here. In fact, if anybody else just walks through this area, this is what we do to them. I wasn't here to kill an elk. Like, I was just looking. And it's really sad because, like, they're the, actually the best elk. Truly, the grass is greener on the, the other side where it gets, <laughs> at the reservation. This is where it gets kind of funny, though, because we end up – another <laughs> officer ends up coming up later on. And as we're talking, they're riding out this side. And my guy told me the same thing. Like, you have no idea how much trouble you're in. And I'm thinking – no, if I'm on the reservation, I'm from here, it's it's a fine. Like a speeding ticket 
costs is going to cost me more than this is going to cost. So no, I know exactly how much trouble I'm in and it's okay. Like just write me the ticket. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll move along. But as they're writing the ticket, this other officer starts talking to us. I don't know if you remember, but he asked us, Hey, have you guys seen an injured elk? Yeah. And so this hunter had shot an elk the previous day, had a terrible shot, didn't kill the elk. The elk ran off and now they have half of the Apache tribe game wardens Looking up there trying to find this elk. At the same time that they're trying to find this elk that they shot and they didn't kill, they've got this white gangly guy who's bugling for elk to get the hunter on another elk that maybe this time he can actually kill. And we're the ones that are harassing the elk. And right. I actually told this guy, you know, the elk that you guys shot yesterday, I think would disagree with you on who's harassing the elk here. Right. Well, and what makes me more upset is that they don't, from what we found out because that officer told us, they don't even allow natives to right. hunt on their own land during hunt. the season. Even if you're a member of the tribe, you can't even walk in that area. Just crossing the fence like we did and walking through that meadow, mm -hmm. a, a Native American Apache tribe member would have the same consequences that we did. Right. It's pretty crazy. And what is even more disturbing to me for these hunters is you actually have legitimate hunters going out with tags to hunt their game but at the same time, you have somebody being driven around in a black SUV with two a scout who scouted out a big oh, it game was more elk. Than two, because there was a couple in that one plus the one that we saw. Right. Yeah. So there were right. several scouts. But now you're being driven to your game, big elk that you're going to shoot without having to do any real hunting for it. Yeah, I actually remember when I was in high school, it was a big deal because George Strait, the the country singer did this. He he paid for one of these big tags. For several years, he held the world record for the biggest elk ever taken. Mm -hmm. And it was at in that same general area. And everybody was just crapping on him because it's not hunting when you have five or six Native American guides scouring the area, finding you an elk and then driving you to it. And you get out of the truck and you shoot it and you go home. And now you're this world record hunter. Right. So I'm all for mm -hmm. wildlife management, but I've just never been into that side of it. Like I think, right. and long story short, we got arrested for suspected poaching. Yeah. But in fact, what we did is we walked through a right. world record hunt, but we were right. free. We did walk through a world record hunt. You know what? And I hope we saved that elk. I hope we saved a life. Yeah. I hope that hunter did not, I'm not even going to call him a hunter. He's just a beast out looking for a head, right? He can't even kill an elk with own. real hunting. Right. Do you remember when she asked me how many weapons I had and that I was well, here to Well, actually, what's funny is that we finally get brought. So we are separated for a while, mm -hmm. and then we get brought back together. And I know my wife at this point, and I think you you explained it really well. At first, you were scared. Yeah. By the time we come back together, it's like 10 or 15 minutes later, and I knew the look, and I knew the tone, and I'm like, oh, shit. My wife is pissed. I was getting so mad at her because she Now I'm scared because my wife is going to say some dumb shit that's going to get us both in jail. Well, and it's scary being on the res anyway, being under arrest, because it's like being a foreign country. You don't know what's going to happen. Well, the guy asked me, he's like, do you have a gun? And of course, my immediate response is, hell no. There's two right. places in the world I don't take guns, the reservation and Mexico. <laughs> right. And she's accusing me of poaching it over and over again. I'm like, how am I going to kill it with my bare hands? And she had the audacity to look at me and be like, well, you just wouldn't believe how people kill elk out here. I'm like, well, they're not doing it with their bare hands. All I have is chapstick. But I think you said that, but it wasn't that nice. <laughs> <laughs> it probably wasn't. <laughs> Anyhow, we get to our vehicle, which is on the U.S. side, and they ultimately want to. They wanted us to drive our truck onto the reservation so that they could search so it. So that they could search our truck so that they could look for weapons. And at this point, truck. she also knows that we're both prior law enforcement. And I'm consenting because I don't care. I've got nothing to hide. You want to search mm -hmm. my truck, search my truck. Yeah. But what's funny is I think she even realized that she was getting into a gray area. You can't have somebody drive their truck onto the reservation so that you can search it under reservation law right. because it was never there. But, but then they never, I have a bed cover on my truck. They never looked under she the She never bed looked. Cover. Like if I was to kill an elk, the we only place I could put it cover. is in the bed of the truck. She never searched the bed of the truck. Well, that's because I think she knew she was looking through yeah. our vehicle illegally. Yeah. However, what's interesting is the game warden. Well, he wasn't even a game warden. I think he was just tribal law enforcement by the time they were looking through the truck. But he was telling us, oh, no, it's illegal to even bugle on the U.S. side of the border right. towards the reservation because you're calling an elk towards you. From you, the reservation. And you know so, me well enough. Yeah. So Cy calls 
Arizona Game and Fish, and he starts asking questions. <laughs> They're like, no, this is I can literally sit illegal. on the fence line in the National Forest with the reservation, and I can bugle all day long. There's nothing. In fact, I did the next day. <laughs> well, and there are actually no laws within the quote-unquote guidelines, in my opinion, of the tribal laws either that has anything illegal There's against no definitions. That's There's the no problem. definition that actually says bugling is harassment to to an animal yeah but we so, paid our fine we're moving on we are and here's here's our ticket so here's side i'm a little concerned because i didn't get a notification saying that i was cleared from not having an outdoor recreation oh, I, permit. I forgot to tell you i only paid mine you're such a liar i know you paid mine too <laughs> we tried to run the card twice and it wouldn't go so we had to use a different card entering a closed area we were also charged with hiking in a closed area and harassing wildlife which was our biggest fine $250. And I got to be honest, if the Apache tribe would just simply tell me, hey, you can bugle here, but if you get caught, you have to pay 250 bucks. I would go in a heartbeat. I'm, I'm just going to start taking cash with me. Yeah. Like if this is all I have to do every time, <laughs> like this is after I paid to go bugling on, right. on the reservation. Can I just meet you guys at the fence and just pay you and then leave me alone? Yeah, because you, you screwed up like the best part of the night was yeah. happening when you showed and up. And seriously, you have the best elk in Arizona. Yeah. In the world. In the world. Yeah. yeah. So. Pretty sad. We'll try not to get poached. And I did try to tell my, my officer like, hey, we are the exact opposite from poaching. And I was, by the time, he got really friendly by the time we got back. He was pretty cool by, once he calmed down. We support wildlife officers across the entire country, across the world. Uh-huh. And I was trying to explain like what we do. And it's interesting. At no point did he say, oh, that's really interesting. I'd like to get your card. Maybe you guys could help us. Right. No, he, he never asked. Yeah. So anyway, that's Too our bad. story of uh, the last time I was arrested. Um, I don't know if we were arrested or just detained because anytime, technically they... No, I'm going to go with any time you're having a gun pointed at you from a law enforcement officer who's telling you to get down and put your hands behind your back and they put handcuffs on you and they search you, you are <laughs> arrested. Now, you might be released. You might not be charged, but that is technically the definition of arrested. I think she was severely disappointed that she couldn't ar actually arrest me for poaching. <laughs> well, I think they both were, but that's okay. All right. Win, next episode. Big win for Carrie and Cy. Yeah, big one. And the and an elk that we probably saved. And we didn't go to the reservation jail, which is always Thank God. Yeah, that's kind of scary. Next episode is Let's, Let's Talk About It. Tune in next week. <laughs> <laughs>